Welcome to the Hornets Hivecast, presented by Charlotte Eye, Ear, Nose, and Throat Associates, the official eye, ear, nose, and throat care provider of the Charlotte Hornets. Here's your host, Sam Farber. Welcome to another edition of the Hornets Hivecast, your Hornets podcast with all the notes, quotes, and daily buzz around your favorite NBA team. I'm Sam Farber, and it is a pleasure and a privilege to have you with us here once again on the Hornets Hivecast, brought to you by Senta, Charlotte Eye, Ear, Nose, and Throat Associates, the official eye, ear, nose, and throat care provider of the Charlotte Hornets. It's a silver linings edition, but what an exciting game the Hornets had last night. Night two of a back-to-back hosting the Utah Jazz, an absolutely Jekyll and Hyde affair uh, that ended up being very, very entertaining, uh, probably more entertaining the book. Maybe not so much. It is considered a classic after all. A Hornets fall to the Utah Jazz, 134-122. to They were outscored by 35 in the first half and then turned the table, outscored the Jazz by 23 in the second. Lots to break down with this one. We'll recap it, give you our silver linings players. And then there was a very interesting record, which I'm 99% sure certain was set by a Hornet last night, or at least matched by a Hornet. We'll take you back in the time machine, go to the last time it occurred, and maybe find a couple other odd records that exist in the books that Rob Longo has picked out uh, to discuss here on this edition of the HHC. Kind of spoiled it, but Rob Longo, my producer on the Hornets Radio Network, as well as the producer of this fine podcast, my guest with me today. Rob, uh, an exciting game last night. Yeah, one way to put it, I guess. A little Jekyll and Hyde, like you said, but... I mean, you go from giving up, what, 82 points in the first half to outscoring the team 75-52 in the second half. So, tale of two halves. Unfortunately, the way that the last two games have gone for the Hornets, I mentioned this on the flagship post game. I think, WFNZ last night, is you go back to the Houston game. That second half was not very good for Charlotte, allowed 75% shooting from the field. You go to the first half of Utah where they allow 82 points, and then you go to the second half of the game last night where the Hornets played very, very well, so hopefully it's maybe one of those cases where it ends up being, you can just finally put together a full 48 minutes in a game, hopefully tomorrow against New York, but of course we'll have you know game previews and all that stuff for you tomorrow, but again, second half was a lot much better than that first one, that's for sure. Well, let's recap things. I think it's only fair to point out that the first half was it was basically a disaster. The, the first quarter was not great from the Hornets' perspective defensively in particular. They almost gave up 50 points in that first quarter. We're down 47 to 24. Second quarter, mild improvement, not really much offensively. Defensively, I guess Utah cooled off slightly, but they went into the locker room up by a grand total of 82-47, to 47, a 35-point lead at halftime for the Jazz. End of game, some significant stat lines. Larry Markkinen led Utah with 33 points. John Collins, back-to-back 20-point double-double. Seems like he missed the Southeast Division because he had one the other day against Washington. Now puts one up against the Charlotte Hornets, the former Atlanta Hawk. John Collins in his first season out in the Western Conference. And then Colin Sexton, 24 points and a career-high 13 assists. So those three led the way for the Utah Jazz, but the Hornets, they kicked it into high gear in the second half, uh, ended up making a big run, outscoring the Jazz by 18 in the third quarter. So they're down 35 at halftime, and they make up 18 and a quarter, so it gets us thinking, oh, they do that again. This is a win. Hornets did get it to single digits eventually, but couldn't quite get over the hump to make it a, a two-possession game even. Ended up falling 134 to 122. Nick Richards after the game on the tail of two halves. I think it was just a mindset, you know. I feel like we just came out with not, we weren't organized on defense or offense. We were taking bad shots. Nobody was getting into the game on the defensive side. We didn't get, we didn't get any stops. But, you know, um, we came to halftime. Coach kind of, coach got on us. Everybody came together. We came out with a different mindset. We just tried to make it 
try to cut the score as low as possible. I feel like once we, because if we play like that in the second half, for the rest of the season, we'll win, we'll win a lot more games. To me, Rob, the, the difference in the two teams' offensive outputs, uh, I think Charlotte did a good job capitalizing on opportunities that were there in the second half, dinking and driving and, and setting up their teammates and, and playing really overall very strong offensive basketball. For Utah, the first half was just like a layup line. It was just three-point practice. Guys were open everywhere, and it would take one drive, one cut, one or two passes to find this open person, and it was just a matter of were they going to make a wide-open shot or not. And eventually they cooled off a little bit, but I think that was you know a major issue for the Hornets, uh, and it, it, something that Nick Richards touched on and coaches touched on several times. I don't, I don't think it's an effort problem. It's an execution problem. The Hornets clearly did not execute defensively in the first half. Second half, much better, and that defense turned into offense offense oftentimes and allowed them opportunities to get back in the game. And then you got guys that really stepped up in the second half as well and I'm sure we'll get into that in our silver linings here in a few moments but PJ Washington 43 points that ties a career high that he had against Oklahoma City on the road last year but a majority of his points coming in that second half 31 of his 43 in the second frame you had guys like Nick Richards that stepped up there in that third quarter too he had 14 of his 26 in the third quarter alone. P.J. Washington had 10 points in that third quarter, obviously, in route to that 43 points. Miles Bridges had a big game as well. He finished with 26 points, 13 rebounds. So there were definitely a lot of great efforts there individually for Charlotte. Just sometimes, and we talk about this a lot, is the fact that you can't really win a game in the first quarter, but you can certainly lose it. I think Utah maybe put that one to the test, or at least that philosophy a little bit to the test last night in terms of putting up 47 in the first quarter and the Hornets just only putting up 24. I mean, any time that you have a 23-point deficit is tough. I mean, I know there's a lot of times where you see teams come back from 20 points plus, but 23 after the first quarter of play is just really, really rough, and I'm fairly certain from what I saw on social media from some of the other Jazz beat reporters that the 47 points for Utah in that first quarter, the most in franchise history, or at least most in the last 50 years of the Jazz, but since they've moved on from New Orleans to Utah. So again, it's just one of those efforts that you kind of just shake your head at, but the layup line is certainly a good analogy of it in that first half, and the three-point shot was good for Utah there as well. 13-22 shooting from beyond the arc there in the first half alone, 9-14 in the first quarter, so sometimes you just build up that deficit too much, it's just too much to overcome, and that's what happened to Charlotte last night. Yeah, just two, two deep of a hole down 36 at the high water mark for the uh, Jazz. Uh, Hornets trailed by 35 at halftime. Made it a single digit game, which is very impressive and it speaks to the ability that the Hornets have offensively. A couple of things to keep in mind. One, no LaMelo ball last night. Ankle held him out last night against Utah. Also, still no Gordon Hayward. Still no Mark Williams. So that's three starters you're down. And Charlotte plugging in Ish Smith, Cody Martin, Nick Richards. Those are solid players who would be in the rotation ordinarily. And all of those guys, I thought, had solid games. Martin finishes with 9.7 rebounds, 6 assists, playing a lot of point guard down the stretch. Ish Smith, we'll talk about him later, no points but 12 assists in the game. And uh, Nick Richards, career high, 26 points, career high 10 made field goals. And he added 13 rebounds as well. 
for a double-double. So uh, maybe another case of if another guy is out there, maybe this one goes differently. I certainly feel if Gordon Hayward, the, the veteran, is out there, they probably don't end up down by 35 at halftime, probably a little bit closer, probably still a Utah lead, but not nearly as much of a hill to climb. Uh, nonetheless, Hornets fall short in their comeback bid, 134-122. to 122. It was exciting. It always is at the Hive. Keep in mind, a couple more games on this homestand and uh, overall on this home trend between now and the All-Star break. Tickets available for the next one and all of them at Hornets.com. Next one being tomorrow, Monday, against the New York Knicks. We've got silver linings to select. We'll do that after this quick break here on the Hornets Hivecast. Sam Farber, Rob Longo here with you on the HHC. The Hornets Hivecast brought to you by Senta. Hornets falling last night, 134 to 122 to the Utah Jazz. Overall record now drops to 10 and 34. Charlotte has dropped three in a row. Before we pick our silver linings player, I want to talk about one of the ultimate silver linings for the organization, and that is that the Hornets recently honored Charlotte Regional Business Alliance CEO Janet Labar as part of the Social Justice Power Forward program, an initiative launched last season by Hornet Sports and Entertainment to recognize community members who have made a difference in the realm of social justice issues. As CEO of the CLT Alliance, Labar is leading its charge to ensure the Charlotte region is the most vibrant, innovative, and healthy economy in the nation. Labar has more than 20 years of experience in regional economic development across the United States and is the second individual to be recognized this season for powering through obstacles and pushing forward a positive impact, joining Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools Superintendent Dr. Crystal Hill as a 2023-24 Social Justice Power Forward recipient. For more information, you can go to hornets.com backslash social dash justice dash power dash forward dash program. Hornets falling last night to the Utah Jazz 134-122. It's time to pick Silver Linings players, and there's a lot to choose from. We mentioned some of the stat lines for the Jazz leaders earlier, some of the stat lines for the Hornets leaders. Uh, You got 43 points, a career-high tying effort from P.J. Washington, 17 field goals, 7 made threes, both those numbers either new or matched career highs. For Nick Richards, career-high 26 points, second time in three games, he has notched a career-best Also, a career-high 10 made field goals, and you had 21 points for Miles Bridges, uh, another very strong nominee for player of the game. Rob Longo, you get to choose first. So I feel like I've taken Nick Richards at every turn here ever since he's returned from his ankle injury, but it's really hard to not take the guy that tied a career-high 43 points. That's P.J. Washington. Nick Richards sends it up the floor. Cody Martin, two-on-two. Trailer is for the Jazz, so it's two-on-three now. The Negative odd man rush. Oh, behind the back dribble. P.J. Washington for the lane. Yes! Counted and a foul. Oh, what a move. P.J. Washington dazzling, building on his season high now with 35. Obviously ends with 43 at the end of the night. 17 to 22 from the field. 7 for 9 beyond the arc. Personal best there for P.J. And the thing I loved about his game the most, the fact that he scored the 43 points, he didn't need to get it at the free throw line. It would have been great if he was able to draw some more contact because he might have been able to go for 50-plus in the game last night, but he only goes 2 for 3 at the stripe last night. Added two rebounds, added four assists, more of that facilitator, more of that scorer rather than that facilitator that we've seen PJ do at times. But the fact that he got 43 off only three free throw attempts is really, really impressive, especially in this day of age. I mean, you got guys like Luca that go for 73. You got Embiid that goes for 60 and 70 and plus. You got Carl Anthony Towns that had a lot of points the other night against the Hornets where he finished with, what, 62? But those guys went to the free throw line a lot, and P.J. Washington didn't have to do that. I know that 
40 isn't quite 60 and 70, but any time that you're able to go 30-plus and you only go to the free-throw line a handful of times, that's really impressive to me. I think all good points. The one thing I would point out is I think P.J. did a good job playing within himself, and you might think, all right, 43 points, that's an enormous amount of points. Uh, You can't really play within yourself if you're taking that many shots. He took 22, but it was just the way that he got to his spots. I mean, there there wasn't a shot that I can recall. I mean, everyone has heat check shots, something where maybe you wouldn't ordinarily take that one, but you're so red hot, uh, you're going to continue to take them. But it wasn't like he was nine feet beyond the three-point line or running up to the three-point line, passing on a lay-in so that he could take a three. I felt like everything was really within rhythm and within his game, and that's the kind of attack mindset that I think the team really needs from P.J. Washington. Given his status with his, his new contract, the way the roster is shaping up right now, his job is to be the big scorer off the bench, and some guys embrace that wholeheartedly and are able to thrive in that position. Sometimes it takes time to find your rhythm. I, I feel like P.J. has more or less found his rhythm, but I would love to see him maybe not this aggressive all the time, but more aggressive than he has been. He seems to be not settling, that's not the right word, but ending up right around 12 points, just under 10 field goal attempts per game for the last week. And last night was one where clearly he got hot, but the team was looking for him, giving him the ball in the paint where he's got a size mismatch on certain guys, giving him the ball in the perimeter where he's got a speed match mismatch on certain guys, and getting him catch-and-shoot threes, which he can do with the best of them out there. So the thing I like most about the game, everything seemed to be in his wheelhouse. I don't know that we can count on him to give 43 every night, but if he can get closer to 20 than where he had been, which is about 12, this would be a big, big step for the Hornets in terms of filling out the rotation and of course you need more healthy bodies around to uh, accentuate that but I thought PJ a really obviously huge game personally but the way it came within his own offense I I thought that was a a real big key there for the Hornets before I give my pick I want to give a tip of the cap to Miles Bridges Miles with 21 points on 8 of 19 shooting uh, did a couple of things one it's his sixth straight 20 point performance so that is in and of itself very impressive he's averaging 20 points per game but to hit that kind of mark night after night after night, particularly with all these injuries, focusing more and more attention on him, plus the trade of Terry Rozier, focusing even more attention on Miles Bridgers. That is very impressive. A couple other milestones that he hit, he passed Glenn Rice for the seventh most threes in Hornets franchise history, and he passed Alonzo Mourning for the twelfth most points in Hornets franchise history. Anytime you're passing Glenn Rice and Alonzo Mourning, you're, you're doing big things, and I thought Miles Bridges had a big game, but not enough to be my silver lining selection. For that, I am going with Hornet Center, Nick Richards. DJ Washington into the paint, up off glass, no rebound. Nick Richards up for the slam, plus the foul. Nick Richards, an offensive rebound, dunk, and an and one opportunity. Richards ends up with 26 points, 13 rebounds, yet another double-double for the Hornets now starting center. That is his ninth of the season, 23rd now on his career, and he sets career marks not just with points, 26, but in made field goals, 10. Only missed one field goal the entire game. Uh, We have talked a lot about Nick Richards here on this podcast because he's had such strong efforts now, three consecutive games. Let's let someone else do it. P.J. Washington, his thoughts on what Nick Richards provided last night against the the Jazz. He was great, great defensively, um, great picking and rolling, um, blocked a bunch of shots, made free throws, so he did it all. I mean, um, I'm happy for him. He's grown so much as a player, and uh, he's just going to keep growing. 
I couldn't agree more. Nick Richards, great game. Miles Bridges, great game. P.J. Washington, great game. Uh, one other player to mention, Brandon Miller, coming off the game where he had a lot of foul trouble and that hindered his scoring. I thought he had a very veteran game last night against Utah. I want to give him a tip of the cap as well. Only finishes with 12 points. Three assists, six of 18 shooting, 0 for 7 from three. But obviously, with no LaMelo ball, no Gordon Hayward, uh, no Mark Williams, and now no Terry Rougier. So effectively, you've lost four starters from what would normally be out there for the Charlotte Hornets. Not only does Miles Bridges get a lot more attention, but Brandon Miller did too. And there's a really good defender on the other side for Utah, Chris Dunn. He's a veteran. He's basically there to lock you up. He was shadowing Brandon Miller the whole game, frustrating him, getting into his space and, and making it tough. I think Brandon Miller had a good game recognizing where he did have advantages, getting to the high post, making some plays on the interior and setting up his teammates. It was a contest where he finishes, despite the bad shooting night, with only one turnover. And that, that's significant because as badly as the Hornets played, they only turned it over 10 times in the game. And Brandon Miller, the rookie, not a big part of that. I mean, one turnover in 37 minutes, that's understandable. So I, I wanted to give a quick tip of the cap to Brandon Miller. Also gives us an excuse to play this. Oh, Brandon Miller on top of Walker Kessler. My goodness. A smashing Dr. Pepper dunk from the rookie. As Matt Carroll, color commentator on the Hornets Radio Network, says, sneaky athleticism. He's long. He's got size. He's got sneaky athleticism. And he's able to get up and dunk on people sometimes. Uh, he was maybe a little frustrated that the three hadn't fallen. He's being closely guarded and maybe not getting the calls. He took it out on the iron and on an all-rookie selection from a season ago and furthered his campaign for all-rookie team this season. Hornets fall 134-122, to the final score. Charlotte now sees their record fall to 10-34 and 34 on the season. Coming up next, there's one other player who had a significant stat line, and it compares well historically. We'll talk about that next here on the Hornets Ivecast. Sam Farber, Rob Longo here with you on the HHC. Happy Conference Championship Sunday. Hope you enjoy some football, and uh, keep in mind you might be able to get some bricks half-off pizza thanks to the double-double from Nick Richards. Go to your local BRICS location in North or South Carolina for the BRICS double-double deal, courtesy of Nick Richards. Big game last night, 26 points and 13 rebounds. One player who was halfway to a double-double was Ish Smith. Ish had the assists. He had 12 of them, but he did not score. And I was not aware of this stat, but Bill McGrath, Bouncing Bill, as he's affectionately known, on the uh, stats crew for the television team of Valley Sports Southeast. Outstanding stat man. Uh, love sharing stats with him. It is a great badge of honor when I find something that he didn't find, but it's also a great badge of honor and nice verification when I find something and Bill's like, yeah, I've got it written right here. It's on the list. So this is one that was not on my list. This is totally Bill, but he saw that Ish Smith had no points and 12 assists and got to thinking, what's the record for the most assists without scoring for the Hornets? So I'm 99% sure this is true because if Bill's saying it, it probably is, but it hasn't necessarily been verified as of the taping of this podcast by Hornets PR. So based off what Bill said, this ties Muggsy Bogues for the most assists in a game without a point. I looked up the, the game where it happened. It's December 8th, 1990. It was in the Queen City. It was in Charlotte. Muggsy had a 0-point, 12-assist game at home against a Western Conference opponent, the Denver Nuggets. 
Charlotte lost by seven. Rex Chapman finished with a huge game, 36 points in the loss, but it wasn't a career-high tying effort. So that's where the uh, the correlation ends, but still, awesome find and tip of the cap to Ish Smith, because anytime you do something that ties a record or ties a mark or uh, ties a milestone that has anything to do with Muggsy Bogues, that's significant in Hornets history. We'll have to bring that one up with him uh, sometime this week and uh, let him know, because I know if anyone appreciates Hornets history, it's going to be Ish Smith, and I know how much he respects and loves Muggsy Bogues, and I'm sure we'll be thrilled to be joining him in a particular interesting record from the Hornets record book. Rob Longo, you took the time while I was researching that to find some other oddities, and you were promising not to tip them off. Good job. Uh, let's see if you can shock me here. So I went back and I looked through the archives because any time that you have a guy that doesn't score any points, it gets you to thinking. So I'm sure Ish is going to appreciate that, but he's going to be like, well, I went 0 for 5 and I didn't score any points, so I'm a little bit more miffed about that. By the way, Muggsy was 0 for 7 in that game. Okay, so, so that's a he, little bit better, I guess. He did the same thing in that one. So let's go ahead and look at some of the other stats that I found up, and this one was interesting because when the Hornets were making that comeback Sorry, one other thing. In addition to being 0 for 7 from the field, he missed a free throw. He was 0 for 1 from the line, so it must have been technical or something. I don't know, but he scoreless even though he had a free throw attempt. We'll have to get Ish and Muggsy in the room at the same time and discuss these. about the heartbreaking defeats they had while <laughs> setting a very, very odd record. Okay, I've interrupted you enough. Go ahead. Okay, so whenever the Hornets were mounting that comeback in the fourth quarter, they got it within about 7 last night. I started looking, well, what was the biggest comeback in Hornets history, at least for points down and the Hornets trailed by 36 at one point last night the biggest deficit to overcome in a win is 24 points that was back on October 29th of 2014 against the Milwaukee Bucks I looked it up the biggest comeback in NBA history also happens to be 36 points and the team that had the comeback the Utah Jazz Interesting. That was back in 1996, November 27th, 1996, and overcome a 36-point deficit to beat the Denver Nuggets. So obviously not the Hornets in that case. But some of the other oddities, too. Obviously, Ishmith going 0 for 5 from the field. It got me thinking, is there a player, or what was the record, I suppose, for the most field goals missed without a make by a player? Do you have any inkling on what that could possibly be? In the history of the NBA, the most attempts without a make in the history of the NBA. Can you give me an era, at least? Modern era. I'm sorry. Yeah, modern era, like 90s, 90s, 2000s. Kobe? No. I'll give you a hint, though. His son is in the NBA right now. Jabari Smith Sr.? Not quite. Tim Hardaway Sr. Oh, okay. 0 for 17. And the crazy thing about that is he finished with 13 assists. So he had a Muggsy game. He had a Muggsy game. More or less, I guess, if you want to call it that. I don't know why Jabari Smith Sr. popped in my head, because I don't know that he... I mean, his son certainly is the kind of player where he might get that shot volume, but good stat, good pull there. Some other oddities that I just kind of went down and looked at. The fastest player to ever foul out into a game was Bubba Wells. He lasted a whole two minutes and 43 seconds. Wow. Uh, so that's a little bit of an oddity there. The most free throw misses by a player in a game, you would maybe think it would be a guy like Shaquille O'Neal or somebody like that. A little bit more modern. Still playing in the NBA. Any guesses? He's going to be a Hall of Famer. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. Dwight Howard. Close. Andre Drummond okay. missed 23 free throws. He was 13 to 36 at the free throw line. He still finished with a double-double, though. He had 17 points and 11 rebounds. That was while he was a member of the Pistons. And one more that we have to go out on. Of course, Ish Smith has this dubious honor with Muggsy Bogues now. Of course, Ish also holds the record for most teams played across an NBA career. So Ish Smith is going to be one heck of a trivia question one of these days, whether it's Hornets history or overall NBA history. And 
Just happy to be a part of it, I suppose. If I'm ever confused on Immaculate Grid, he's always my first Oh, guest. he's my safety net it, for sure, that's too. That's right. Ish Smith, uh, another one for the record books. And uh, again, I'm sure he would have loved to have scored and assisted a victory. But anything that you match with Muggsy Bogues, that's a good day in Hornets history. So Charlotte finding the silver linings in the loss to the Utah Jazz. Rob Longo, thanks as always for joining me here on this edition of the HHC. Let's do it again tomorrow. Preview Hornets versus Knicks. Yeah, it's so much fun today. We'll just... Go ahead and do it again tomorrow, too. Yes, we shall. Hornets will be uh, heading into that one. Knicks a little roughed up. They had uh, Julius Randle, unfortunately, suffer an injury the other night, so he's not going to be available. Mitchell Robinson's not going to be available. So this will be a very different-looking Knicks team compared to the last time the Hornets saw him. And we'll see if the Hornets can't come away with a victory. Till next time, for Rob Longo, I'm Sam Farber, saying it's been a pleasure and a privilege having you along, and we will talk to you tomorrow right here on the Hornets Hivecast. Thank you for listening to the Hornets Hivecast, brought to you by Senta, the official eye, ear, nose, and throat care provider of the Charlotte Hornets. For more coverage, visit Hornets.com.